When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PITCHERLIST and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. How's it going and welcome to episode 127 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. You can follow me at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. And you can follow Kevin Hasting at Hasting Kevin. I Kevin is not with us this week once again. I'm hoping he'll be able to join us a little bit more regularly in the final five or six weeks of the season. And we wish him and his family and everybody else in Hawaii the best. I heard from him. He said that they are doing good. And so I, I'm, my hearts and thoughts are out to everybody else listening who is who's able to uh, out in Maui and the Big Island as well. Shout out to all you guys and hopefully you guys are getting through. For now, I get to welcome Van Burnett to the pod this week. Van, of course, is the co-host of the Winds Above Fantasy Podcast alongside Steve Suswelli. New episodes hitting the Pitcherless Podcast Network every Thursday. We'll spend some time looking at players to pick up, players to pick up as we tend to do, but also some high-level drops to consider because we are definitely past the point of no return in the season where pretty much anybody that should be dropped, can be dropped at this point. But before we get into all that, Van, welcome to the pod. Glad to have you, man. How you doing? Doing good, Adam. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And Kevin, if you tune in, sorry I missed you and thoughts your way with everything going on out there. But yeah, things are great, man. Obviously, it's the grind and the dog days of the fantasy baseball season. I'm not a big fantasy football guy. Actually, back-to-back last place in my home league. So I've got a beer mile that I have to do and I've been prolonging, but I don't really get into it. So it's a nice opportunity to stay focused and dialed in. And yeah, I've got some really good leagues going on. And obviously the stuff with Steve Giswelli wins above fantasy has been a blast this season. Just looking at year three, we hit the hundred episode mark and just everything going on with Pitchless is super exciting. So yeah, it's gosh, it feels like it's been five or six years now that I've been with Pitchless and now It's more of a routine and something that 
early on, it felt like I had to prep and get back, fit it into my life. And now it just feels this is a home place, which is great, but it is, it's a blast being on here. Thanks for having me. I wanted to make a joke about what is fantasy football. I'm not sure what that is. Unfortunately, I still do play in one league and my buddy who runs it, it's this dynasty league that we've been, that we've been playing in since, I don't know, like 2002 or three, but it's, it's completely been demolished and then come from the ashes like three times since then different names different groups of people different rules but mostly it's like the same core people that keep bringing it back and then he he texts us we do two different drafts we do a rookie draft and then we do a regular draft like a supplemental draft because it is a dynasty league and he's like all right you're on the clock i'm like wait what do i do here and it's like (laughs) The trade deadline in our baseball league was like coming up really shortly. And I'm like, you sure we can't do cross cross sport league trades? Because <laughs> that would come in really helpful for me oh, right now because I care about one of these and I don't care about the other one. You can guess which one that might be. Huh. And yeah, so that's where I'm at with my fantasy, my single fantasy football league that I can't get rid of. I hear you, man. Yeah. My, my former roommate and very close friend, he lives out in Utah now and his wife, she's great. She texted me and was like, I have a huge favor to ask. And they've got a a baby coming up in, in two weeks. I've told you Adam, but my wife and I found out exciting news that we're doing January thought for the life of me that this favor was going to be related to one of the baby situations. And she was like, <laughs> I have a fantasy football draft in two hours. And I feel like you're the go-to for this. And I was like, you couldn't be more wrong. I have to drink a beer for every lap of a mile and it's going to be a nightmare, but let me know who you pick Alex. So yeah, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. I'm glad this podcast is not to talk about any draft prep there. I would be a lost cause. Yeah. And I know I talked about it at the top of the show, but I'll echo again, shout out to everybody out in on the big Island in Maui who are able to listen, Kevin as well. I'm sure most of the people here listening who also are on Twitter may have seen the Alex Chamberlain tweet regarding if you've ever used his pitch leaderboard, consider donating to the charity that he was talking about or Venmo him. So I'm going to give him a shout out as well. If you haven't checked that out, Go check out Alex Chamberlain on Twitter. We had a listener tweet out to me or DM me about a great idea that I thought was really clever, considering it was Chamberlain that was doing this. Andy Splinter, and give you a shout out there. He's going to donate $5 every time Talkman hits a home run for the remainder of the season in honor of Alex Chamberlain. So that I thought that was thought that was a really good idea and definitely consider doing that and or anything that you can consider about the recovery fund that can help out every all the other the residents of Maui and the Big Island that were affected by the wildfires over the, the earlier or earlier this week that just passed. But we do have some baseball news to cover and we're going to get into that right now, Van. Not a lot of notes. Like I told you, I say this all the time. We don't hit every single news item. We talk about, we try to piece together the news items that are really going to affect your FAB considerations for this coming week. A lot of other resources you have for getting to know every single news item out there. We'll get to those in a little bit. But right now, let's get into the one of the biggest moves the White Sox made this this season. I don't know, maybe positive, negative. We'll find out. But Debbie 
Eddie Garcia, he was DFA'd and he's claimed off waivers by the White Sox. Considering every all the press that the White Sox clubhouse has been getting since the trade deadline, and I won't get into whether that's positive or negative. I'll let you guys Google that. I'm sure you've already figured that out by now. But could this possibly be a good scenario for Garcia, who obviously didn't have a role previously? Can he carve out a role that we are going to care about as fantasy players moving forward for the rest of the year with the White Sox? White Sox, actually, most of their big moves have been dealing away. And it's the irony of seeing Lance Lynn basically explode with the (laughs) Dodgers is a little unfortunate. But Davey Garcia is interesting. Obviously, you're out that way and know that he's always had potential and a lot of hype around him. And even some of those reports about how the Yankees might have mishandled him a little bit. The biggest question marks for Davey Garcia for me is just the control where it's always been more volatility than you would want from a reliable starter. But the White Sox are not in contention like where they would be worried about that. I think they might want to see what they have here. A little bit of a a spoiler alert is I think he might be slightly blocked right now by a guy we want to talk about later in the show. I don't know, Adam, if you want to get into it or not, but I'm definitely watching the situation closely. I just don't know if there's going to be the opportunity outside of kind of some spot starts in September, but that's my two cents. I'm curious what you think. Yeah, no, I just, I can't imagine him cracking that rotation, even in the state that the White Sox find themselves in after the trade deadline. Not That's not even talking about all of the news reports that we've heard from former players like Middleton and Lance Lynn kind of corroborating all the lawlessness that has been happening in that clubhouse for a while. Yeah, I just think that they've got some guys on the payroll and or on the roster that they're going to want to squeeze out and get what they can out of them before moving on. And I just think, uh, yeah, the guy we're going to talk about later, I will, I will continue to leave that one in the group to make sure everybody listens to the every ounce of the podcast. It's like the last name we have. <laughs> and they're going to skip ahead. <laughs> But let's get into an offensive call-up that just happened on the other coast here in Oakland. They called up first-base prospect Lawrence Butler. I noticed this personally just because as a big Ryan Noda fan, he was the guy I was touting since the beginning of the season as a Rule 5 pick. You want to take that chance on somebody who you know is not going to lose the leave the roster. And he did a, he's done a decent job of making a name for himself in that everyday role at first base. Of course, Ryan Noda on the IL still and not expected back tomorrow. So Lawrence Butler looks like he's got a hold on that role. Can What are you expecting out of Butler moving forward with the A's? And do you think he's going to hold on to that job even when Noda is healthy enough to return? That's Those two questions are tricky. I think... In terms of what I'm expecting, I'm pretty excited about Lawrence Butler. This is a guy, despite being a sixth round pick, six foot four, a lot of power, above average speed. And most importantly, I know one thing we love about Ryan Noda is his ability to take a walk. Lawrence Butler has some plate discipline as well. His strikeout improvements have been massive this year in 90 games in the high minors. I want to say he was up north of 30% on a strikeout rate. Now he's cut that way down to where if you have power, pretty solid contact skills and above average speed, and you're not striking out, you've got my attention for sure. Now he's just hitting eighth in the order right now. And 
even platooning a little bit, but I'm interested. He's hit 50 homers in 90 games. The batting average has been a lot better too. I think you want to temper expectations, but I think with the opportunity he has, I think it's realistic to think he could be like a 250 guy who could definitely help in the power department and maybe chip in speed. When it comes to long-term, I feel like they they like Noda as much as we all do. And I know you and Steve were the ones that got me into Ryan Noda as well, but I have many shares across my NFBC leagues. And yeah, I think Noda will have have that his own job when he comes back. However, we're talking about the athletics, right? Like I think they'll find a way to keep a good bat in the lineup and probably not have them hitting eights. Yeah, I like Lawrence Butler. This late in the season where you're scratching and clawing at the waiver wire, I think this is one to actually have some excitement about. Yeah. Yeah. I know I called him a first base prospect, but uh, he's outfield eligible in NFBC to start. And he has not started a game at first base since being called up. He's been starting in the outfield for the A's on Friday and on Saturday as we're recording this in center field. I very well may have just misspoke earlier when I said that is Noda going to take his job back. Yeah. Noda will just take his job back. It, it, it would appear and Butler will continue to roam outfields positions as long as his defense doesn't hold him back. And yeah, it's still the ace. So I could totally see this being Lawrence Butler's also not that guy that they want to make sure they hold on to rookie eligibility for next season. So I, I don't think that they need to do any kind of manipulation where they want to keep his rookie eligibility for next year. More than likely, he's not winning rookie of the year. I also don't believe Butler was on at least two out of the three top 100 prospect lists that would qualify him to win the A's that extra draft pick compensation for winning rookie of the years. I, I don't, that's not a concern. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea that if you need that outfield and I would expect him to get that corner infield eligibility at some point, it might take a little bit longer due to the fact that they're not even, they got Seth Brown and Tyler Sorters from cut base in the meantime. And then when Noda does come back, assuming he plays at the very least on the strong side of the platoon, it's probably not going to open up a whole lot of time there. Probably the outfield eligibility better than first base anyway. So he's got that going for him, which is nice. Yeah. And Soderstrom's kind of plugged in at DH right now, but that's another one that I know there's some excitement there, but so far he's been struggling, just a 150 average. And that could be another path to playing time as well for Lawrence Butler. Yeah, again, this late in the game with the Oakland A's, more excitement than expected for Butler from my camp. All right, let's go down into Arizona then. They made a small signing of their own. They signed Aaron Sanchez to a minor league deal. They did send him to triple A, so it's not like he's jumping right into the rotation. But the way Arizona has been playing, I'm not ruling it out. So the fact that I think many of us would expect Aaron Sanchez to at least make some spot starts down the stretch for the Diamondbacks. Is he somebody that you've entered into your watch list and you're considering picking up? Hopefully, like in daily moves leagues, pick him up a couple of day, a day or two before when you think he's going to get that call up or maybe picking him up a week early. Or is this just something like unless you're in an NL only with <laughs> a whole lot of special rules, you're not really considering him here. Yeah, that's the latter for me, sadly. We know Aaron Sanchez has been a staple on the the waiver wire for many years, and I believe he was part of that uh, combined no-hitter as well, Aaron he Sanchez. He was, yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just the at his age and having a 5-plus ERA and a decent sample size in AAA for the Twins, I, 
to me, even if he does, like you said, get the spot start, I'm not, it's not something I'm going to be that excited about unless it's in an NL only. We might be seeing Aaron Sanchez possibly like Tuesday, Wednesday of this week after Gallon's turn. So we'll have to see, but outside of the ground ball rate for Sanchez, I think it's a matter of time before, you know, he's going to hurt you more than he, he helps you. And I also have some questions about the Diamondbacks outside of Gallon. Who as an organization, have they gotten the most out of? It seems like we've had so much excitement about Brandon Fott, Dre Jameson, and none of them have really come to fruition. So I'll probably stay away from this one, Adam. Yeah, that's probably fair. Definitely a lot of excitement coming out of uh, out of Arizona, especially with Brett Strom coming in and you're not and wondering exactly what we're going to get out of that. It has not come to fruition, at least not lately. And even Gallon has had his hiccups as well. All right, let's move, let's stay in the south, southwest here and go down to Texas, who this is probably one of the bigger blows that a contender could have seen here, especially right after the trade deadline. Um, that's how it is, right? It always works out is that you lose your one of your best players after you can't make any adjustments <laughs> for it. Of course, we're talking about Josh Young of the Texas Rangers. He had thumb surgery to fix a fracture he sustained last week. He is not expected back until possibly the end of September. Likely in real life baseball, this might work out okay for the Rangers as they will probably have him back come playoffs come around. But as far as our fantasy head-to-head playoffs, we're probably not 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 looking to have Young on any of our teams. Assuming Young is a drop at this point, especially in any league that doesn't have unlimited IL spots and it's not some kind of keeper or dynasty league, who are who are the Rangers filling in at the hot corner that you can tell? And are is it an obvious fill-in for you as a young somebody who rosters Young in your leagues? Yeah, it looks like for the most part, they're sliding Ezekiel Duran there. And he's been a really nice kind of swingman player for them. I think at this point, he's played every position other than center field and catcher for the Rangers. And he started a few games at third. So I think that's for the most part who what's going to be relevant for the Rangers. If he's available, I think there's a good player in there. It looks different than Young for sure. But yeah, 14 homers on the season, six steals. 276 average. This is a stuff and things guy, the old Ben Zobrist archetype. But yeah, he strikes out a little bit. He is a really good line drive hitter. And I think Duran could be a nice fill in if he's out there, but it's just going to be production in different places. But in terms of the actual roster for the Rangers, I think that's probably what they're going to do and then just move people around. I know Duran just played DH. They've been bringing in Smith. Is it is it Josh? I'm trying to think of who the Josh youngster. Josh H. Smith. Yeah, very... Josh H. Smith. Yes. So I think he's gotten a look at third, but there's not enough there where I think he's going to be an everyday guy for them. So that's my snapshot on him. But it's a huge bummer on Young. We were Steve and I talk about him throughout the season as just one of the breakout stories of the year and assessing how real it is. So it's a bummer for real life and fantasy purposes for sure. But I think Duran's. He's going to be productive if you bring him on your roster as a replacement. Yeah, as you mentioned, Duran started at DH the last two days. A lot of moving parts here on the Rangers, from what I can tell. Josh Smith is filling in that role at, at the moment, specifically at third base. He did the same thing when Seager was on the IL at first as well, or at least when he was like a day-to-day and... Josh Smith actually came in, played shortstop, and filled in his exact spot in the order as well. So obviously somebody that the Rangers 
feel comfortable enough kind of plugging a hole for a certain time period. It does always roll itself back when he doesn't actually produce at the same level as that person. Shocker. But the other moves in Texas that kind of is rearranging their lineup is Travis Jankowski going on the paternity list. And instead of filling his role with Bubba Thompson, they DFA Bubba Thompson and, re- and replaced Jankowski with JP Martinez getting the call from AAA and filling in left field for the last two days as well. So a lot of moving parts, not really affecting my scope personally, but I was a little surprised to see the Bubba Thompson DFA just because like, it seems as though he would have filled that gap that Jankowski was creating, even if it was for a short period of time and the paternity list, I don't expect him to be gone for more than the seven days or whatever. Then Martinez, obviously he becomes a little bit more expendable. So something to keep an eye on as far as their lineup goes for the, at least for the first half of the, for the first half of next week, Martinez is going to get a look in left field pretty much every day. He started against a lefty and a righty and until Jankowski comes back. So if you're looking for that kind of speed option from Jankowski, you're going to have to look elsewhere because obviously, he is not an option either. Duran, on the other hand, I agree there's production there. He's just not available anywhere. <laughs> Certainly not in the industry leagues. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Especially in your deeper leagues. You might find him on a waiver wire and a 12 teamer here or there, but definitely yeah. your 15ers. I'd be very surprised. Hey, like I always say, always, it doesn't hurt to look. Do the control F, do the filter, whatever you need to do in your league. See if the guy you want is there and you might get lucky, but I wouldn't be putting all my eggs in that basket. No. All right. Last thing in here, and we just came across earlier today, stay in Texas, go to Houston here, and they put Jose Abreu on the IL for the Astros. So it's a very similar question as far as the Rangers losing young with Houston losing their regular first baseman. Who do you see getting the extra at-bats and or filling in at first for the Astros? And there was a point, obviously, where Abreu was doing absolutely nothing, and he would have fit our next topic (laughs) of who you're going to (laughs) be, your high draft picks you should be dropping. Obviously brought it back to life quite a bit midway through and made himself fantasy relevant. So he is leaving a little bit of a gap, especially those who have relied on him or picked him up off the scrap heap after somebody else dropped him. So who uh, who are the Astros providing us with as far as an option at first base for at least the next 15 days? Yeah, it looks according to roster resource, they have John Singleton, who's an old veteran, not only in the league, but also with the Astros. And then he, after about a decade with the Astros, went to Milwaukee. He just came back to Houston and they've got him plugged in to cover at first base. And while in a nutshell, there, it doesn't seem like there's that much excitement with Singleton, he's been like a quad A specialist. And this year at AAA with Houston, he's got 12 homers and 33 games in AAA. And that's with a 17.6% walk rate and a 23.6% strikeout rate. So that's pretty exciting, at least in terms of production. I don't think we've ever seen him produce that much in the majors you have to go way back to like 2013 2014 where he was actually producing and hitting homers at the big league level but he's going to have a, a window of opportunity here and it looks at least according to roster resource that's where it's going like you said adam this is hot off the press i'm not sure if you think there's any other mauricio Debon is there we got david hensley has played a handful of games at first so they might shuffle the deck but 
I would think, uh, yeah, the former would be the one that gets the most opportunity there. No, Singleton was called up once Abreu. He's up. He's been up since Tuesday. Didn't get a start Tuesday or Wednesday, but has started at first base the last three days while Abreu was apparently hurt for the two days prior to that. Didn't go on the IL until today as we're recording this on Saturday, but I'm sure that'll be retroactive to the days he missed as well. And Singleton's been starting... We started against the righty, started against two lefties in the last two days. So the I would double expect- dog. Yeah, it looks yeah, like t- yeah, right? the two homers in one <laughs> game. That yeah. part is exciting. That yes. part is like to see a guy like John Singleton come through and get the spotlight at the highest level on one of the most nationally recognized teams in baseball is exciting for him. Obviously, this has got to be a situation where I've got to be pretty desperate for a corner infield, somebody I'm going to rely on regularly. But at the same time, like if this is the area in which I need, if I need a little bit of pop, if I need a first baseman, I need that corner, whatever it is, like he's not on my list. Like he's not in my waterfall bids for sure. It's one of those things where it's like, you don't have a lot of fab. And if this is the area in which you need, he shouldn't be off your list. He should at least be in the conversation because you're going to have to win somebody in most cases. And so Singleton should be in the conversation in those scenarios. Absolutely. Because he and, has a role. Yeah. And the fact that he's in one of the three games, he hit sixth in the order that that's like the Kyle Tucker slot in the Astros lineup. So it's, <laughs> you're going to get reps and volume. And he, he, so far since he's been up, he has one strikeout and three walks and outing with two homers and five RBIs. You'll take that if you can get it on the cheap in some of your bids. Like you said, it's a lot of people are either checked out or they're depleted on their fab budget. So I think it's a really sneaky name for some pops. Yeah, I think that one and Lawrence Butler feel like the most actionable of kind of the news and notes as we talk through it. Sure. Houston only has one off day in the next three weeks. And so in that time period in which Abreu will be on the IL, I would assume Singleton's going to take the majority of those reps at first base. And so I would expect him to at least give you the volume that you might not expect. So there's that. All right, well, that's going to finish up our news and notes. Of course, we missed a whole bunch of stuff that happened that may or may not affect your fab considerations. You should be listening to the First Pitch Podcast with Casey Bubba and Jake Crumpler. They break down all the news, highlights, and observations from every day's worth of games, as well as looking ahead at each slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy league. Of course, that is the Fitch First pitch podcast right here on the pitcher list podcast network just a moment van and i are going to talk about the difficult decisions that we have to make throughout the season but we're at a point of course where anybody is droppable they probably have been for the last for some time now i'm going to talk about some of the bigger names that i think we are either considering or have already considered dropping we will get to that in just a bit after this break fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. 
So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back. Of course, you are listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined this week by Van Burnett of Wins Above Fantasy. Listen to him and Steve talk about all things fantasy baseball every Thursday right here on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Before we get into our fab considerations for this week, I want to go in the opposite direction. Van, I've already talked about it. We're going to talk about just the idea of dropping guys. And I think that this idea is more difficult to really wrap your head around in a keeper or a dynasty sort of format because you do create like these relationships in your head with these players. At least yeah. I do, especially yeah. in my dynasty leagues, where hey, you're just you're part of this team, man. I can't let you go. But in these in redraft in your row especially in a roto style actually i want to correct myself i would say especially in a head-to-head format um, where you just feel like this player is not only not doing enough for me now but i don't foresee them doing anything for me come playoff time but in roto you've got to know also when to cut bait like when is at a point where you're going to do yourself a disservice by holding on to this player not only on your roster but even worse in your starting lineup when they're actually putting up offers for you and or letting all the runs across and hurting your ratios and what have you. So I wanted to get, pick your brain or get your idea about are there any players specifically that cross your mind especially in a head-to-head format that you they're on the cusp but you're probably going in a different direction because a they're a you're looking at their September schedule and you realize, you know what? This hitter is going to have a hard time against this rotation, that rotation, what have you. Or on the other side, obviously, you're streaming pitchers and you're realizing, hey, this guy's been doing great for me, but that schedule in September is looking sketchy at best. Is there anybody that comes to mind? And I'm putting you on a spot there. That wasn't really the question I put on the outline, but it's a direction I want to go here. And I want to know if anybody came to mind. Oh, gosh. Yeah. In terms of like strength of schedule, that's a good one. Steve and I, a couple weeks that de- a couple weeks back, looked at kind of the best and worst schedules rest of the season. I cannot pull that just off the top, but I can I could try to look at some of the strength of schedules and everything more generally on the topic. I, and I love this idea that you do have to cut ties, especially in week, weekly leagues where in a way, if you're desperate, if you're trying to get into the playoffs, your season is viewed in a seven day window for in mm-hmm. a lot of cases. So it, it becomes very important to to go back to that like process versus production or versus results. And the only guys, if they're not performing for me in the past month or so that I will even keep regardless of ADP, of course, if they're a first or second rounder, like whatever you're tied to them. But some of the names that, that we've got here, Adam, that we'll talk through, like if there's if their underlying metrics or their upcoming matchups don't scream that there's a bounce back coming, that's when you really have to look at like the opportunity costs when we're talking about a, a guy like Singleton who just hit two homers in a game and five RBIs. Yeah, it's you got you have to catch lightning in a bottle there a little bit, but I'm very much a fan of riding the hot hand and especially in like weekly leagues looking at what your opponent, if you get into playoffs, what your opponent's strengths and weaknesses are. And if you need to cut a lot of strikeouts and you have all-star that, that has bad plate discipline, I have no problem moving on from that. So just some general thoughts on the topic, but were you looking for a specific name on guys that I would be ready to move on from? 
Yeah, we'll get that in a second. I will throw out a situation. The schedule that I've been looking at that kind of stood out to me is Seattle September schedule. And if you look at the Mariners, of course, they start off September against the Mets, which seems like it'll be fine. <laughs> Though the Mets do not strike out as nearly as much as I expected them to since the uh, since the All-Star break. Yeah, Pete um, Alonzo is coming alive too all of a yes, sudden. So there's that. But then their pitchers are going into Cincinnati. Then they're going into Tampa, and then they face off against the Angels, who which could go in any other direction by that time. Trout should be back by then. Yeah. Obviously, Otani wants to make the playoffs, and he's stuck in L. He's stuck in Anaheim for the time being. They have the Dodgers. They do get a little breather against Oakland, but then they have to face off against Texas and Houston, and then Texas again to finish off the season. Seattle was something that the their schedule in September stood out to me, especially with the Logan Gilbert and George Kirby coming alive recently, having some really good outings. And it seems obviously they're on a roll, and I yeah. hate to see their kind of role be derailed during playoffs in a head-to-head matchup specifically Kirby because I have plenty of exposure to him in my head-to-head formats with Um, that with that said if I can jump in one that definitely comes to mind for me a guy like Teoscar Hernandez and granted if depending on the league format how deep it is and what stats you need obviously we know who Teoscar Hernandez is and he's an average liability he should help with homers but Honestly, there's a lot of worrying signs for him. Like I was saying earlier on process versus results, it's not just the 703 OPS that I'm worried about. The strikeout rate is as high as it's been in five years at 31%. The walk rate is a career low. And even like some of the metrics that look good, like his barrel rate, I think he's like around 30th in the league on barrel rate. But A stat we like to look at often is Alex Chamberlain, who you mentioned earlier, his blast rate, which kind of removes any soft barrels. Teoscar Hernandez is actually 54th in blast rate. So if I'm looking at a guy who's only, I'm crossing my fingers and hoping for pop, and he's what, top 60 in a metric that I view very, very seriously, then I don't know that I'm going to be upset about moving on from Teoscar Hernandez in the month of September if they have that lineup that you just talked through. Like that's a guy I would be more than happy to move away from because I think he's probably closer to a Nolan Jones who might be out there than he is to Adelise Garcia who was drafted around him. And Garcia is obviously a much different player, but Teoscar's one, having heard you talk through that schedule that I would definitely be willing to say, don't, don't, fall in love just because there's name value there like that used to be the case with Eddie Rosario and he's gone in that same direction so that's one that I would throw in the mix there yeah Teoscar also just one of those guys that PLV is not loving this season whatsoever and of course we you hear us talk about PLV on the pitcher list podcast network the shows a lot especially when it comes to pitchers but the metric works really well for hitters, especially if you're able to utilize the rolling ability charts that, that have been put together for that. So check out Hernandez's uh, charts. His decision value is been just like plummeting in, in, in the last, uh, last couple of weeks slash months as well. Look at his contact ability has been relatively, has been below average all season long, hitting right around this 20th or 25th percentile range as well. So 
the overall hitter performance also look it has been taking a downward spiral since pretty much midseason. Just that it's been below major league average for quite a while now. So the, obviously, also somebody who's not going in the right direction um, yes. with yep. with the, with every aspect of the game, with the decisions he's making, how much contact he's making, and choosing which pitches to swing at. So yeah, I like the call out there, and uh, that kind of yeah leads us. In, we want to talk about some players that. These are top 180 p players that we're talking about, at least ADP from the main event. Obviously, drafts that happened toward the end of March, so closer to draft season or closer to the beginning of the major league season. The hitter that I'm considering dropping, if I haven't already, is I felt like I took the low hanging fruit with this one is Salvador Perez, who's just looked absolutely awful for what you thought you were bringing him in at. Yes, he had his four for four day the other day, had his first bomb in what felt like forever there but all same exact i'll echo pretty much everything i said about t oscar with salvi is that he's he's just not the same guy and he hasn't been the same guy pretty much all season even his power is looking is taking a big dip but like he has plummeted in both in hitter performance, he is currently in the rolling charts, have him in the 10th percentile in overall hitter performance, according to the POV rolling charts. He, the decisions that he's making are he actually on the upward, but still in the 25th percentile across Major League Baseball, well below, well below average. And then his contact ability. Again, that's, this is the one area in which he is. he took a really big dip seems to be making strides in he is well above average in contact ability but the problem is that he's he's also being he's also being extra aggressive which is just who he is right, right. um in general but he's been he's lived above the 90th percentile all season long which obviously your swing aggression could be a good thing if you are if you are a power hitter but it also can lead to really long stretches of inconsistency if you're just being if you're just swinging at pretty much everything regardless of whether or not you should be or if your cohorts across major league baseball are making those same decisions on what to swing at with the even in two catcher leagues with the amount of catchers that have made a names for themselves, Kybert Ruiz always comes to mind here. He's somebody who's obviously been making all the right decisions and all the right moves, especially as of late. If he is available, he's somebody that I'd be rolling with the rest of the season over Perez, I think, at this point. And this is wow. Perez ADP of right around 70 in the main event. So this is definitely high draft picks collateral that you had to use here. And I put this in the outline. I wanted to make sure that we were only talking about players. Of course, if you had players that were injured. You have either already dropped them or if you have IL spots that have just been living on your IL anyway, this wasn't the whole idea. These are guys that have been healthy pretty much all year. Tiasco really hasn't been hurt, if I'm not mistaken. Salvi Perez might have had, I think he had some like day-to-days, but he, I believe he's been on the IL all season. Yeah. Uh, these guys are not worried about being hurt. They're not producing at all, and they're actually probably doing you more harm than good. Obviously, Salvi's got some home runs in there, but with the amount of catchers that you have available on the wire, even in two catcher leagues, somebody that, you know, you might want to consider moving on from for the rest of this season. Yeah, that's, you're right, Kybert Ruiz. I mean, he, this guy's been on a tear and it looks like he's unlocking power. So definitely two catchers going in opposite directions. And the fact that Ruiz is also hitting in the heart of that order, neither 
offensive lineup context is good with the Nats and the Royals, but yeah, it's tough. I don't think in two catcher leagues, I would quite have the heart to to move on from Salvi just because he still is hitting the ball pretty hard. It's not nearly as hard as what it's been the past two years, but like the max EV numbers are, are up there and he does have 18 homers in, you know, what it's been a hundred plus games or something. So he still profiles out to me as like, a 250, 25 homer type of catcher, which I think is solid enough for a two catcher league. But you're right that this is not the player you drafted for a guy who's been such a workhorse at age 33. They hardly even DH'd him. So in my eyes, he's got more mileage than that. I think you're right that we're seeing the descent, which is sad in a real life context, but for your team, you got to make these decisions. And Yeah, this year there's been more catchers popping up everywhere than I can remember. And a lot of them are exciting. I think we'll talk about some. Yeah, I think that's a good one. And a prime example of like, given what you need on your team and what the the format of the league is, how deep it is, Salvador, Salvador Perez is a good name for the ones that you have to remove the name context and just look at actual production and what you think you're going to get out. So I think that one's a good one, Adam. Yeah, I'm just going to consider as well. Just, yeah, I know he's got the 18 bombs, but you've banked those already. It's like paid for those. You've got them. They're not going to go. If you drop them, you don't lose them. So that's something to consider as well moving forward. Yeah, he's been playing more first base than catcher in, in, in recent days as well. It was nice to see him gain that eligibility in my Yahoo leagues the other day, which it just we have an infield spot in my Yahoo league. So it's, it's nice to have the flexibility because I also have his teammate MJ Melendez in that team. So it's nice to be able to move players around when they get a day off like Melendez did today and Salvi did the other day. And so it's nice to be able to have that flexibility. Obviously not somebody I'm expecting to be my everyday first baseman in any context. But yeah, I get this point too. Not only Kyber Ruiz is the example I brought up. He's rostered everywhere, at least in your 15 teamers, two catcher, two catcher scenarios. But you still have, you have somebody that we talked about, I think just last week, Luis Camposano in San Diego, 45% rostered in the main event. And he is looking like he's getting a lot more playing time in his scenario. So in his situation. So these are things you just have to consider not only playing time, but also production what's going in. You've got, all right, you got one guy, your highlights, so obviously you want to jump into him. This was a, when I saw you put his name on here, I was just like, duh, <laughs> I was disappointed in myself for not putting him on here, but I didn't realize his ADP was so high. Definitely. And I flirted with the catcher one is a good one because there's such a premium. And I flirted with Dalton Varshow is another one that's his ADP was so high. But Alec Manoa is the one I wanted to highlight whose ADP was 71 and change. So yeah, that is what like a fifth, sixth round pick, definitely an SP one guy. And I'm not going to say I had a crystal ball on this, but he was and has been a guy that I'm a little bit skeptical just because you're it's a Alcantara thing where it's and I know that's bad timing at the moment because he's finally clicking, but the volume is there, but there's not a high floor with a lot of strikeouts. So if you're not getting the ratios from a guy like Alec Manoa, this can go from not only is he not an SP1, but he's fringy on even being rosterable. And we've seen it, of course. So he was just optioned again after 30 innings since returning from previous nightmares. He had a 491 ERA and a 143 whip. And yeah, it's just not working out. So this is a prime one. I don't even know how much detail we need to go into it. It's like he got optioned again. 
it's time to move on. There is not enough season left and he's not going to turn into Sandy Alcantara magically when he's down in the minors and he's already done this back and forth thing and it didn't work. So it, it looks bleak to me and we'll see what he can do in the off season. But for now, move on, remove yourself from the name, the name value or the name brand and don't look back. So that's the low hanging fruit for me, Adam. Yeah, yeah, no, I, there's nothing more to say here. You've probably dropped in most leagues the first time around. And if if you did take the chance on him and you picked him back up when he got called back up, yeah, you can safely move on from him as well. I'm not going to get into more detail here about my pick, my pitcher pick, just because I think it's going to be so extremely difficult for somebody to actually move on from him. But somebody that's been so frustrating uh-huh, this season uh-huh. that was probably most teams SP one in their draft. He had an ADP of just under 26. It's Aaron Nola, of course, of Philadelphia. Um, and this was, uh, this was one of the schedules I wanted to highlight as well, especially in the, his September schedule. Philadelphia has had a really nice schedule as of late. And I know this mostly just be because I've been rostering Christopher Sanchez in most places. And that's been a nice little you know, run that they've been able to go on a lot of volume, not a lot of off days. So a couple of two start options here or there, but moving forward, Philly does not have one of the better schedules, especially once you get closer to September. Yeah. They've still got the giants. They still got St. Louis, but as soon as you hit September, they're going into Milwaukee, which, you know, the team of Milwaukee, you're not too worried about. But being in Milwaukee, not the best place to pitch. Um, they got to face off in San Diego. They still have to face off against the other NL East teams, including two more batches against Atlanta, one more batch against Miami. Yeah, they do end it off on a nice little note with two matchups against the Mets in Pittsburgh. But in general, the, just, we've seen so much inconsistency out of Noah. And I know Noah's known for that every other season type of role. And this is just happens to be that season that he's just not, those ratios are not doing it. And I know the strikeout upside is always going to be there. It's going to be very difficult for somebody to actually pull the trigger and, and send him down. But depending on where you are, as far as what you need in a Roto league, if strikeouts are not a concern, and even wins are not a concern. If those counting categories are not going to, you're really just worried about cutting into those ratios. This is that time where you might want to consider grabbing some long relievers and filling in your rotation with guys that are going to do you more good in that scenario. And somebody like Nola, where you're just not sure. And as good as he is, as much of an ace as he can be, the unknown has to be something that you think about in your mind, especially if you're trying to chip away at those ratios. If you're in that situation, do you think that's something you could pull the trigger on? Or is this just like, no, sorry. <laughs> it's really tough. It would have to be someone I'm very excited about. I think Nola, he, what Steve and I talk about, it's like the oldest trick in the book, right? Everybody knows it, but ERA minus whip. If your whip looks much better than your ERA, the hard part with Nola is he's always had the home run issues to where you can only say that for so long before it's like, he's going <laughs> to come with the high ERA. The only thing I might point out is that last year I rostered Nola in my home league and followed him really closely. And he had these similar frustrations and he did turn into a monster down the home stretch where I actually was like, oh, this is who I drafted finally. Like his mm-hmm. September last year in 27 and change innings, he had a 293 ERA and a 105 whip and well over a strikeout per inning. 
and that was coming off a bad August where he had like a 422. So I don't know if he's got like some uh, like annual ritual in August that really throws him off. And I think what his last start, he looked a little bit better against the Nationals, granted. But before that, it was also the the Nationals. Yeah. And he got roughed up against the Royals and the Pirates before that. So definitely understand the frustration. When you look at the strikeout upside, I guess it just comes down to who else would you possibly replace him with that's going to have a better chance at breaking through for you and really helping. But I can't argue if you've been burnt that bad and you want to you want to do the, the spite drop. <laughs> yes, the spite drop is the thing for sure. Yeah, there's definitely been those guys like Corey Kluber always comes to mind, like somebody who was always awful at the beginning of the season. And he always came through after the first month or two month and a half of the season. And all of a sudden he was just like your ace when Corey Kluber was still your ace option. Nick was always referencing Charlie Morton used to do this every summer as well where he'd right. go through his hiccups of in june and then july would roll around and all of a sudden august was like summer of morton morton's been a little bit he's at the end of his career so maybe that's worn off so nola very well could be that guy it was like september is just his time mr september on the pitching side and honestly i can't say that in good faith i'm looking at his 2021 september and it was a 619 era so the wrong side of the roller coaster that year for Nola. yeah i mentioned this last week like philadelphia's when i was talking about bailey falter whether or not that was an option he cruised last year in september and it's because if you go back and look at philadelphia's schedule for the last like six four four to six weeks of the season it was as much of a cakewalk as you could consider. Ooh. And I know I was we were I was rolling with Falter a whole bunch. So I, I get why Nola's numbers looked as good as you just rattled off in September last year, just because I don't have it in front of me, but I remember that schedule being like, oh, this yeah, this seems cakey. nice. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. And it's if they got the Braves twice, I don't think we're gonna expect that from the way Nola's been. So yeah, unless I he gets get really it. lucky with his rotation spot. But. Yeah. View him as a cherry bomb, as Nick says, with the potential to blow up, potential to have a good start. And I think that's the right way to view it. But the volume hasn't really been there in the last few starts as well. So I think yeah. Yeah, it's the point of this whole exercise is to remove the name from just what your opportunity cost is versus what you have for sure. All right, I think it's time now that we get into the actual guys instead of the guys we want to drop, the guys that we actually want to consider picking up. And we are going to get to that right after this quick break. All right, we're back. Van Burnett, Adam Howe on the wire this week. We are going to get right into our fab considerations going category by category again starting here with our power categories van looking for a guy who's probably available in various league formats that can knock a ball over the wall or two maybe knock some in as well in the rbi category who might be somebody that you're looking at spending whatever fab dollars you have left i think right on on brand for the sal perez discussion freddie fermin who he's available in a lot of nfbc leagues less so in the main event where he's 87 percent rostered but freddie fermin if you guys have not been aware since nick prado's july il stint fermin has come up and set the world on fire and he's gotten some looks at catcher since then and but in 50 games this season he now has nine homers hitting over 300 with an 872 OPS. He's awesome to watch, by the way. He's a five foot nine. He's got a great arm. He's picking off guys, stealing bases left and right. Like definitely a fan favorite, cult classic. And he carries a catcher position. So it's like, if you can get power help 
from F- Freddie Fermin, like that's just going to help you even more because of obviously the position scarcity. So he's getting a lot of playing time. His, his stuff under the hood looks good where he's got a 22% strikeout rate, more or less. You'll take that for sure from a bopper and a 12% barrel rate. So I really like Fermin. Steve brought this name up on our podcast and I'm sold. I think he had another couple hits tonight, if I'm not mistaken, because his average is already climbing up. Yep, two for four. And yeah, Fermin is one that if he is available, like you said, Adam, give it the check, make sure that he's rostered because 28 years old, he's in the power prime. And uh, yeah, I think we might be seeing a little bit of a Lynn Sanity run here from Freddie Fermin. He's got an 80 grade name and uh, looks the part. (laughs) So I'm all in on this bandwagon. Yeah, it's the store brand Freddie Freeman, basically, <laughs> uh, at a different position. I, why do we need Freddie Freeman? We have Freddie Fermin at home, um, so, so that's it's obviously that's the guy you want. And said it, it's it, it he his name has like the situations that we see every once in a while where like oh I spent that much money on Freddie Fermin. I thought I was betting on Freddie <laughs> right. Freeman. Yes, um, exactly. Like but the Vlad just, Guerrero, Vlad Gutierrez type of thing. Yeah, yeah. shouldn't have done that that late at night. <laughs> um, I remember very distinctly that I bid too much money on the wrong McGill at the beginning of <laughs> la- I think it was yeah at the beginning of last season, and the McGill's mother actually tweeted back at me and saying, "Yep, they're not the same person; they're different people." I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> thank you, thank you." Did not expect that. That's incredible. Um, so a uh, name that I, I'm throwing out there just as a consideration, and I almost put him in the opportunity section just because he's found himself in a new role, and that's Mark Vientos of the Mets going pretty much playing, no, not pretty much, he's playing third base every day now for the Mets. Granted, in the, he's kind of bounced around in the middle of the order, so fifth, sixth, seventh order, but still, still primed to be playing every single day at the hot corner. I don't think that he's going to be their long-term solution there, but they're obviously getting a more of a look at him moving forward, at least in the short run with Beatty going down to triple a 21% rostered in the main event, only 1% rostered in the online championship. He's going to be a sneaky pickup. I think this week, just because he is currently UT only, he should gain third base eligibility in your NFBC formats, assuming he gets the start at third base on Sunday. Uh, which means he won't get the eligibility until Monday, at least when you're looking at it on a roster sheet. And so if you are looking for corner infield, third base eligibility, make sure you are considering Vientos just because he's playing every single day. He has some power pop in his bat. Uh, He's shown in the minors. He hasn't really had the opportunity with the Mets until recently to get into a groove. And so now it looks like he's going to, he's, been getting that opportunity playing third base every single day since this past Tuesday and even filling in a DH a bunch of times as well, which is where he's been playing for the Mets. So I just thought that was a little bit of a sneaky play. If you're looking yeah. for that corner and you're like, you're not, you're only searching, if you only search the 3B or the CI and he doesn't pop up, it's because he's still UT only, but he'll get literally get it as long as he starts at third base or plays third base on Sunday, he'll get that eligibility. On Monday in the NFBC, he should have that eligibility in in other formats like Yahoo and whatnot. He might have left field eligibility there. I'm not sure. But Mark Vientos want to make sure that uh, that name is on everybody's radar if they are looking for that corner infield position. Yeah, seven game slate for the Mets. I think you mentioned, but yeah, Vientos a lot of pop. I was 
first in line when he got called up earlier this year. But I think this, they've got a little bit of good momentum going on right now. And I think it could click in when he gets some regular at bats here. So I like that. Yeah, that was the only thing, man. Like I would have been first in line with you if I thought he, the Mets knew what they were doing as far as playing time goes. It's like, let's call up the same guy three times, like three different guys, but they are all pretty much do and play the the same same positions. Yes. Uh, You didn't know where Vientos was going to actually go. Now you know where he's going to be. And like you said, seven game slate, he's not sitting against lefties either. He's, he's doesn't seem to be in a platoon and you'll take all the playing time you can get. Yeah. Great one. All right, let's move on to speed here. Then I love, I'm going to let you start it off here because I love the name you on is a, he's a stalwart of mine in this category, at least in the second half of last year as well. So talk to me about why Elvis Andrews should still be on our radars. Yeah, another 80-grade name. This will be a nice, immaculate grid one someday for still playing that game. But yeah, <laughs> Elvis there. Andrews, 23% rostered in main event. And I like this one for speeds. Tim Anderson's six-game suspension, he's obviously appealing it, but it will hit at some point, right? So Andrews, in the past few days, they have put him at leadoff a couple times. So I think we're going to see a little bit more run production here. And in terms of speed... He's like the sneaky old veteran because while the sprint speed is really low at age 34 for Andrews, he, I think he has 12 this year, but he had, he attempted 24 last year. So I I look at the White Sox where they're at and kind of their season and makeup. And I could definitely see Andrews getting another five ish steals the rest of the way, which that could help for sure. And it could be more. In addition to that, you got to be on base to, to steal and, in the past 14 days, he's got a 324 batting average and two steals in that time. So he's already getting the old running legs back on. So yeah, I think this one is just sneaky and it's got enough reasons for upside where it's a cheap bid, right? Like people aren't going to be overbidding for Andrews just because this is a name everyone's so used to. And without Anderson's suspension, you're not really thinking about what the opportunity could mean for him. But I think this could be a really good one for runs, especially, but speed could be a nice bonus there. Yeah, I was like, Andrews obviously found new life when he got moved to the White Sox last year and did all the good things he did. And it doesn't say that he was obviously not affected by any negativity of that clubhouse. So (laughs) I would assume that uh, given too much, man, given (laughs) exactly, he's been through the ringer enough. Um, I, so I like the call out there and definitely somebody that's always usually on my watch list every week, just depending on how much playing time the way stocks are giving him. And if he's carving out that role, filling in for the, not only soon to be suspended, but also often injured slash not producing Anderson, um, that this be be somebody that I'd be looking at for sure. Guy I'm looking at this week, I think I mentioned him a couple of weeks when he got called up. It didn't really have a role, seems to have carved out a role as almost pretty much the everyday center fielder for the Phillies. That's Johan Rojas, 68% rostered in the main event, much more readily available in your 12 teamers as well. As I mentioned, pretty much playing every day as of recent for the Phillies in center field. Did not start on Saturday as we're recording this, but had started in center field the previous six days and about 12 out of the last 15 days. So it's nice to see him not, if anything, he's only sat against righties, always 
played plenty of them as well. So we'll see if that kind of holds up over time as Bryce Harper pretty much carves out his role as the first future first baseman for the Phillies and not really expecting him to move into the outfield anytime soon, filling in at DH and first base. Rojas, known for his speed, obviously through the minors in his short period of time in the majors, at least since if you go back to July 10th, he is from my stats that I collect on stolen base opportunities and stuff like that. He is fifth in SBOT 2B. That is taking the opportunities given to you to steal second base. He has had four attempts on second base in eight opportunities. So this is a guy who obviously can run and he's 83% successful. Sorry, he's made six of 12. I'm looking at the wrong line here. Six of 12, and he's made five of those attempts out of those six. So this guy who obviously will take as many opportunities as you give him, and he's going to be successful most of the time. Not quite at that 100% mark, but it's still nice to know that uh, the Phillies are going to continue to let him run and get those stolen bases. Batting ninth, I get that. We always say ninth is the new, the second leap because you're not getting the added plate appearances but you are putting yourself in a position where you can score more runs, especially with the top of the order that is that can produce like the Phillies have. Johan Rojas, somebody I'm looking at, I'm going to go ahead and bleed right into the opportunity because I got a couple of guys that are on the same team. Before we do that, of course, I'll talk about the schedule coming at. You talked about how the Mets have a seven-game slate. There are six teams that have a full seven-day work week, including Kansas City, Seattle, the Mets, St. Louis, Arizona, and San Diego. There are six teams that have two days off. So we haven't seen this a lot this season. It seems like only two to three teams might have the two days off, but we got good six teams to consider having benching these players because they're only going to have the two games in the first half of your NFBC week. That is players on Toronto, the White Sox, Minnesota, Philadelphia, the Cubs, Cincinnati will all have Monday and Thursday off next coming week. Everybody else is off one of Monday or Thursday with a full weekend for everybody. Colorado, as we always note, is home all week. It's been a rarity this season to see them either all home or all away, but we got one of those weeks ahead. They'll be hosting Arizona for three during the week and then hosting the White Sox over the weekend. So consider all those things and more. And one of the things that I am considering here is that seven-day work week for the Seattle Mariners. And guys that, that are look like they're going to get a little bit more opportunity ahead of them are Jose Caballero, who I almost put, or I had in the speed category, but I'm molding him into both speed and opportunity here. Yeah, yeah. Dylan Moore as well. These guys are readily available pretty much everywhere. Moore, 25% rostered in the main event. Caballero, same percentage there. Both of them more than readily available in your 12 teamers guys that don't play every day. I get that Caballero has been the short side of a platoon, but he's still stealing bases even off the bench. He's just like the Roman Quinn type where, you know, he's not going to hurt you on your bench because on, because he's being benched because he's not going over five or anything like <laughs> still getting the stolen base or two or three in a given week. Dylan Moore Obviously, I think we talked about him um, yeah, on and off. A couple shows ago, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are- and just the guy that obviously you get really excited about because it seemed as though nobody loved a player more than the Seattle Mariners loved Dylan Moore. Yeah. Like they continuously put him in a position to succeed. He didn't always do that. But when he went on a run, he would steal like five bases in four days. And it was just like, 
it would obviously in a head to head, it would change your week or in a roto, it would just put you up exactly where you needed to be. But I'm pointing these guys out because JP Crawford, he did hit the seven day IL on Friday. So that frees up at the very least the everyday shortstop position, which seems as though Seattle is going to mix and match while he's out. So he sh- he'll be out at least for the first four days of that seven game work week, giving more opportunities to more and Caballero to fill in and hopefully steal some bases. And especially, and actually both these guys are more of a speed play than anything else. But this is an opportunity that if this is the category that you are stretching for, these guys are going to get a couple extra playing times, maybe even get maybe even get pinched hit or pinched run earlier in the game as far as Caballero goes, giving him more opportunities as well. So Seattle's situation, especially in the middle infield, is something I'm keeping an eye on if that's the area that I'm looking for. Yeah, those are great ones. Yeah, I listened a couple of weeks back when you guys were talking Dylan Moore and yeah, that... that he is a guy that is like handmade for best ball formats because when he goes, it's <laughs> nuts. So I like it. And yeah, with Crawford on the IL, hopefully we do see that for more. I think he, he homered in the, like the past week as well. So there might be a little bit of a, yeah, a little bit of buzz going on there for more. And Caballero, I was worried yeah. for a second because I saw reports on Friday that he had to leave the stadium for personal reasons, but obviously he's, Back and at it, and he's started at shortstop today on Saturday. So, uh, less worried about. I almost took him off the outline after seeing that. <laughs> no, <laughs> like one, well, for, one for two with the double so far. Yeah, as we're recording. So yeah, Dylan Moore, good name there. Mine on this one on opportunity, Adam is. I had to go with my homer, St. Louis Cardinals. Here, been a frustrating season, no question about that. But with this seven game slate ahead. They've got the Athletics and the Mets, which again, that Mets with the depleted rotation there. Burleson is 47% rostered in main event leagues, but he gets regular playing time against righties. He will get sat against some lefties like today as we record. But even since Tyler O'Neill came back, he still played alongside him. So that's an encouraging sign. Pretty crazy what we're seeing from Burleson this season, striking out below 11%. He profiles to have a little bit more power than he's shown, and it suggests he's got just a 6% barrel rate, but 110 mile per hour max EV. I really think that there's like a power hitter in here. He's 43rd in the league on hard contact on the pitcherless page or on his player page. So all of that just doesn't compute to me as like a 6% barrel contact guy. And then when you think about somebody who should have a little bit more pop, with just an 11% strikeout rate, I think this is a guy who could string together a really nice week. Even if he does get scratched a game or two, he's got first base and outfield eligibility. So Alec Burleson, a, a good name to have on the radar that could help you with average, but also with a little bit, hopefully a little bit of power as well. Yeah, Burleson was somebody I was targeting early in the season, especially my 15 teamers, because it looked like Somehow, he even with the outfield situation that St. Louis had at the time and still currently, uh, that he was getting everyday playing time and he was going to volume his way into that. But that kind of went away quicker than I would have liked. But it looks like he did sit today on Saturday against the lefty. He played against the lefty on Wednesday, but he does seem to sit against most lefties when in that situation arises. But something we didn't mention early in the show in the news and notes section is Dylan Carlson did hit the IL for your Cardinals today as well. He's been hurting as of lately. So that does free up an outfield 
position for the Cardinals. Now, obviously, Burleson's not necessarily playing center field. Time, somebody's got to play center field. Yeah. Uh, it looks like Newbar is going to be filling in that role on a regular basis, which obviously frees up the other times where he would have been playing DH or left field or right field possibly giving Burleson even more of a runway for every day or very close to everyday playing times, which is nice. Yeah. New bar red hot as well. So the team starting, if O'Neill can catch fire, like it's not as bad of an offense of course as the whole season's been. Yeah. I think the arrow's pointing up for Burleson for sure. Yeah. O'Neill's not on the turf anymore, right? He's off the turf. So <laughs> that was, yes. I mean, I get it. I'm sure that's a real thing. I'm not laughing at the fact that that happened. It's just, it seems to be something with O'Neill. Every, everyone just so happened to be on the turf this time around. Very much. He was one name that I was hoping would bring in some pitching, but turns out we're sellers this year, which is fine. <laughs> Makes sense. All right. We are going to get into the pitching categories here, but as we talk about this opportunity that teams are seeing and players are seeing going in, it'd be behoove of me not to mention the underdog fantasy pick em daily contest. Either, these are things you need to consider as we're talking about the opportunities that the players are going to have for the coming week. Things to consider when making your pick contest picks. <laughs> I can speak yep. a sentence. If you want to make some money picking MLB games, you should try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. With Underdog's Pick'em Game, you pick your favorite baseball players. You predict whether they go higher and lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. You pick two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. You can sign up for the first time using promo code PITCHERLIST. It's all one word, all capital letters, PITCHERLIST. And Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. So you can have some bonus cash to start playing with. You deposit 50 bucks, they'll give you another 50. You deposit 100, they'll give you another 100. So that's a lot of picks that you can make. And as we are talking, especially when we're talking about some of these pitchers that have some good matchups coming up next week, something you want to consider when making these picks as well. Underdogfantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Of course, you have to be 18 or older to play. And in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates, you do have to be 19 or over in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 and over in Massachusetts and Arizona. Terms do apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. With all of that in mind, considering that we want to be looking at guys that might have some good matchups coming up that we can take advantage of, whether they are for our fab, which is what we're focusing on, or if you're picking some guys that might be able to go over on the strikeouts, over on the wins category, that's the categories we're starting off here. Van, why don't you lead us off here? Who are you looking at for those counting categories in the pitching department? First of all, Adam, I appreciated the ad read because usually I do that on Wins Above Fantasy, and it's always nice to just hear other people talk through the legal disclaimers and see if they get tripped up, but handled it with extreme grace. My my wins and strikeouts key player that I'm looking at is actually Emerson Hancock, and I know that the Ks haven't been necessarily as part, a part of his profile, but I do think for wins, it could be a good help here. For those who missed, he got called up by the Seattle Mariners. He's actually a pretty highly touted prospect. It's just the production this season in the minors hasn't quite matched the prospect pedigree, but it's looked better as of late. And in his first start, he looked pretty solid against the Padres. Five innings, gave up just one run, three strikeouts, and just one 
on the whip there. And he gets at Kansas City next week. So I think that's a great opportunity for a win. We know that they clearly let people go deep, the Seattle Mariners, in terms of innings per start. And yeah, the Royals have the second worst offense in the league. He is a two-step. So there's if you squint, you can see a second opportunity at a win, but it's at Houston at the end of the week. So that one's going to be a little bit rockier more than likely. It's why I moved Hancock off of the ratios category, Adam. But yeah, I do think there's a good pitcher in here with Hancock. He's got four pitches that he uses. He gets pretty good whiffs on his fastball. And even though it's just hitting 93, I know his early prospect reports said that he hits the upper 90s with his fastball so that we could see improvement there. But also a nice slider, nice changeup that induced some whiffs. So I think there's more strikeouts than what we saw against the Padres with just three and five innings. Yeah, two-step there for the strikeouts, but also I think a pretty sure bet or a confident bet on him getting a win against the Royals this week as well. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. the two-step is always something you obviously want to consider, and sometimes it can do more harm than good when you're chasing those ratios, but you can't stop the volume if that's what you're targeting. That's why we do this category by category. These pickups aren't always going to win you all four of those uh, categories for a starting pitcher, but you got to pick and choose your poison when necessary. Yeah, typically I will go volume here as well, but it is slim pickings as, as we do know at this time of year. So Zach Little is the name that obviously is coming into focus right now in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay needs anybody and everybody that knows how to throw a baseball to start in their rotation as they cannot keep anybody healthy. And I won't make any more jokes about that because it just seems mean. But 21% rostered in the online championship. Obviously, your 15-teamers, they saw this coming or they saw the opportunity on the walls. They're a little ahead of it, 93% in the main event. So there are a handful of leagues out there where he is still available in your 15-teamers. But he gets the Giants coming up on Tuesday. Now, they do have a, Tampa Bay does have an off day next week. So he probably isn't going to get that two-step. Roster resource seems to think that he might. Um, but it, it, there's always a possibility that Sunday one gets pushed back, but he would be facing off against the Angels, which would not be a terrible thing. But if and if it does get pushed back, you'll get your two-step the following week. That's the beauty of looking for these guys that, that are going to start either on Tuesday or Wednesday that you're looking ahead a week. But Little's going to be a very popular ad in general just because of what he was able to put up this past start. And it's always interesting. I always, of course, I'm always going to reference Nick Pollock's SP roundups when it comes to these guys that are popping up out of nowhere. If you really look at his strike zone plot from last week, it is, he mentioned it on the Plus Pitch podcast. He said it in his, in the SP roundup. But if you got to go look at that, uh, that plot point, and it is amazing that he literally could not throw anything out of the upper third of the zone. Like every single thing he threw there, there's a handful of little dots that I'm looking at right here that are in the middle slash bottom zones, but it's a good, like 80% of his pitches are all in the upper part or way above. Like some of them don't even fit on this graph. He's just throwing them way too high. So it is amazing. Of course, we like to see the Blake Stale blueprint where you're seeing fastballs high and breaking stuff down, but this is everything high. Right. So be curious to see if he replicates that against the Giants, who is not an offense that anybody's scared of at the moment. Can he obviously can help you in your strikeout department by facing off against the Giants as well. So I wouldn't mind throwing little might be at the top of my my conditional bids. I might still have a couple guys that I, if I can find to that I feel comfortable with throwing him in there, but he'll probably be close to if not at the very top. 
Yeah, no, that's crazy too on the strike zone plot. That is the definition of what, like control over command where it's yeah. like, you're hitting the zone, but yeah, <laughs> missing your spots. Go high or go home. All right, you, you alluded to it. We do have, there are other categories we have to worry about and those are our ratio categories, our standard five by five, ERA and whip. A lot of times we'll talk about long relievers in here. I talked about that earlier on as a viable play, especially later on in the season, if you want to get rid of all of your questionable starters and you're really just trying to chip away at that. But obviously there are starters out there that can get an opportunity and can maybe their volume can do more good in that department as they're going five, six, seven innings rather than hoping your reliever goes two or three innings in a two or three times in the week. I'm going to lead us off here, Van. Javier Assad did some really nice things for himself this past week as well. 2%. And this is the main focus here is just the fact that he is available absolutely everywhere. 2% in the main event. So obviously readily available in your 12 teamers as well. I'm going to say if he gets another start, because there's no there's no guarantee he hasn't been assigned a, a start yet. But if he does, it should be up against the White Sox. If not, I think he's still going to get those innings in a long relief for this coming week. And I think that it'll do just as m- much good as he would in a starting position, at least for this coming week. It would set him up for a possible two-step the following week, though, which looks very tasty at Detroit and at Pittsburgh. So Javier Assad, whether or not you believe in the true talent, obviously this is somebody that I think a lot of us were kind of excited about at one point or another, hasn't really put it together, had a really good production this past week, be somebody that is probably not going to get you a whole bunch of strikeouts. Maybe he volumes his way up to three or four strikeouts in a start, but that's not what we're talking about here. And if he can keep the control that he showed, which again is no guarantee, I get that, but he can help you chip away at those ratios. And that future two-start step looks pretty nice regardless of what he puts up this coming week as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. Even with Stroman expected to be back on Wednesday, I feel like the Cubs tend to tinker a little bit with giving some spot starts. So I think there could be a path, if not the relief. And yeah, the good ratios there. Mine is also widely available, Adam. It is Abner Uribe with the Milwaukee Brewers. And I like this one for a variety of reasons, but since debuting on July 8th, he's had some pristine ratios, just two runs and 11 in the third inning. He got a save on Friday night. He has pitched in five of the last seven games for the Brewers. So even though it's not necessarily like bulk reliever, they're going to him quite a bit. On top of that, Devin Williams has thrown in the past four games for the Brewers. So I think they might be looking to spell out because Uribe did not pitch tonight. So it could be a situation where, you know, depending on how they use Williams, they're just looking at Uribe as a bonus saves option. I know that's not this category especially, but when you're looking at the guy who can really help with the ERA and whip with the upside of saves, I think it's a good one. And just the pitcher in general, it's a name to remember because he has a 70 grade fastball, which is actually like a sinker and a 70 grade slider. The sinker hits 99 miles per hour, sits 99, I should say. And the slider has a 20% swinging strike rate so far this season which is like 80th percentile with the slider like 50 percent whiff rate if you're looking at savant this is definitely just shy of degramian on the slider for your rebate so all that said he does have the dodgers and the rangers this week you have to hold your nose with those opponents but overall 
I think it's just a really sneaky name and one that will probably hear this name a lot more coming up for Abner Uribe. The other one I just threw out as an honorable mention was Matt Strom, who is a staple of fantasy note-taking over the past six years for me. But Strom is back and looks like he's putting up really good numbers for the Phillies as part of their hot run. So he's just 15% rostered in main event. So those are two that that came to mind a little bit. Yeah, Uribe's been all over pitching ninjas gifts throughout on Twitter. If you're following that, of course you are. Uh, been fun to watch. That's just that slider. Oh, jeez, I don't. Know. I don't know what else to say here. Um, yeah, the Brewers I, I, just. They, it's like they grow on trees. Man. They're it's the. Like, I know. You, we everybody talks about the Cleveland pitching factory, but really, when it comes down, when you're talking about relievers, it's all Milwaukee. Oh, all <laughs> Hater Williams, Uribe. Yeah, it is. It's something else up there. All right, we talked about it with the rebate being a possible sneaky grab for saves. He did get a save on Friday. We'll give him that. But we'll talk about saves as an actual category, some players to actually look at here for that one single category, the last category left in the pitching area. And I don't have a name. I just have a bullpen, and that is Detroit. <laughs> so true, man. Every What's going I on in Detroit? I don't know. Like- but if this is one of those things where it's like, I'll probably have all these guys on a tree on my waterfall bids. And if I get one of them, okay, we'll see what happens. But like Lang has not looked good. If you roster Lang, which he is readily rostered everywhere, somebody listening rosters him knows. I do. Yeah, there you yeah, go. There's somebody on the pod Yeah, knows. my only hope for TGFBI. Thank you for the solid uh, But Bro Brisky got the save on Tuesday. Jose Cisnero got the save on Wednesday. Tyler Holton got a... 30 pitch win on Wednesday as well. So you've got a lot of guys who Jason Foley has been toward the top of that uh, pecking order as well, though he hasn't gotten any actual holds or saves just because it's still the Tigers. And that's the thing. You've got to be in a real desperate situation to like really hone in on any of these guys. It's just one of those things where it's like you roll it. If you really need saves, you roll the dice on all these guys, you get one of them, throw them into your lineup. And hopefully one of them vultures to save next week. And you can very, incrementally move your way up the category yeah absolutely i'll probably be doing that as a handcuff piece to laying so yeah those are good ones mine was i gotta shout steve jaswelli on this one i know you guys have talked about dominic leone in the past as well but with estevez struggling for the angels leone got a two inning save earlier this week even though he gave up a homer in the game and a couple days before that had another two inning relief appearance. So overall, Dominic Leone has just looked so much better recently, at least than Estevez. So if the Angels make a swap there, this could be a really good position where it's a pretty good team. It's a pretty good pitcher in terms of stuff. And we know that they like to use an actual closer. So Dominic Leone, less than 2% rostered, is trying to get ahead of the fab scramble for that one. But a good name there. And shout out to my co-host, Steve Giswelli, who's been hyping him up lately, too. Yeah, I always like to be ahead of those. We're getting to we're getting close to a point in the fantasy season where it's really difficult to be ahead of uh-huh. anything just because yes. there's no time left. But you could still find that. Estevez has struggled in the past. He's looked really good most of the season, but he did show signs of, oh, did we make it? I made a terrible mistake. Situated, but he came back from there. He did get the save on Wednesday for the Angels. He hasn't pitched since. I don't know if he's pitched tonight yet as we're recording this. No, um, but uh, we'll see how that kind of irons out. But Dominic Leone, I like the at least the watch list, if not dollar bid now, so you're not paying $15 later type of thing. 
All right, final category. I'm going to let you take this one on your own, Van. It's my favorite category because I like to see who everybody brings out here. And we alluded to him at the top of the show. So hopefully he stuck around the entire show here. Of course, I'm talking about our wild cards categories, our speculative ads. Maybe a player that doesn't fit into any of the categories we talked about earlier. Maybe it's somebody on the IL. Maybe it's a prospect that is available for pickup. I don't know. Van, who are you looking at in the situations in which you have enough roster flexibility where you're taking a chance on this guy? Yeah, it's Jesse Schultons for the White Sox, who actually threw tonight. He did get hung with the loss, but it was a tough look loss. He pitched into the seventh inning, had three earned runs, five strikeouts against the Brewers. I was actually, it was on the broadcast when I was coming home. It was on the radio when I was coming home from golfing. And they said that the White Sox looked pretty highly at Schultons and like his pitchability and his ability to like sequence pitches because he does have a, a fastball slider, curveball, and he's just a pitcher's pitcher. And that is why you might see some better results from him than the strikeout numbers would suggest. And we've seen that so far across three starts where he's pretty much since getting promoted in a spot in the rotation has like a high threes ERA. But he has hit six innings in every one of those starts, so a decent volume play. So Jesse Schultens is one that I think will possibly, probably block Davey Garcia, like we were saying. And yeah, there could be some upside here when it's pretty hard to find upside. So just 25% rostered. Schultens could be a sneaky guy to get you possibly wins and some volume for the White Sox 29-year-old. Yeah, Schultens somebody I was looking at I was considering picking him up as a streamer this week. It was one that I took the, I rolled the dice and wanted to see what he, uh, what he ended up doing today and possibly looking at picking him up for next week in my head to head. And because I really like what the White Sox schedule looks like in September as well, yeah. from a pitcher's perspective, granted it's still the White Sox. I don't know how many wins he's going to be in line for, but if he pitches as well as he has been, he can force that as long as the White Sox bullpen doesn't completely tear it apart. But I do what the White Sox schedule looks like in September. Again, looking at the head-to-head matchups, looking at what you can store away now if you're in a situation where you have that kind of flexibility. Something that uh, something I'm definitely eyeing there and see if he's still available for pickup before his next start. It'll yeah, be- and don't get discouraged by the velocity on the fastball at just 93 miles per hour because he has... Even though he's six foot four, he's super long. He's got seven foot extension. So he's way up there on on kind of the percentile on his extension. So that fastball kind of jumps on you. Yeah, it's he's good at inducing soft contact. So I think, yes, he's probably just north of a Toby. But I think that they're if you're desperate, it could be like a stream and see what happens with Schultons the rest of the way. Nick has a term, it's a Holly. So it's somebody who has a, just a slightly the higher Holly. K rate, but he doesn't really stand out in any other way. So Hollies are better than Toby's. We all know this uh, if you watch The Office. All right, that is, that's that been great. I'll throw this out here because I don't know what happened, but Andrew Heaney only lasted an inning and a third and was pulled with the bases loaded today with the Rangers. So I have been this whole time trying to figure out what happened. <laughs> so something to consider when you're uh, when you're making your bids as well. Maybe something happened to Heaney if you are actually rostering him. You should hopefully get more detail on that by the time you're listening to this pod. And the Rangers may need another option in their rotation for the next couple of days. We'll see. Stay tuned. All right. Well, that is going to do it here. Vance, thank you so much, man. Remind, I, I know I talked about it at the top of the show, but uh, remind everybody where they can continue listening to your voice and anything else that you might have going on 
between now and the end of the season and off season. Yeah. So I'm co-host of the pitcherless podcast wins above fantasy. You guys can find us on the same main pitcherless podcast feed or on our, our own one there. We release shows weekly every Thursday, myself and Steve Giswelli, my co-host, and it's all things fantasy. So we will not get into as much structure of fab. It's more looking at guys underperforming, overperforming, just talking through a variety of different topics on there, but we have a great time and uh, yeah, just hit the hundredth episode mark a couple months ago. And yeah, throughout the off season, we'll be keeping it rolling and doing some of those too early mock drafts, all that good stuff. We put out our bold predictions. We do a review show on that and yeah, we're, we do a lot of best practices stuff. I actually am in the final round for the Raz slam, Adam, where I'm in 12th in the overall and the top 10 make it to the final championship rounds. That's my, that's my humble brag that I'll be, <laughs> I'll, I'll be pulling into the recap show. Definitely. Cause first year we did the podcast. I was great. Steve struggled last year. It flipped. And this year we're both doing pretty good, at least in like most of our leagues, some of the TGFBI, those ones have wobbled a little bit, but yeah, everybody can follow us at wins above pod. I'm at van underscore verified and Steve is at Stav. 8818. But yeah, thanks so much, Adam, for having me on the show. I know we've, we uh, were wrestling through some technical things, so it's always such a blast. And thanks for everything you do for the podcast network too, man. Absolutely, man. I'm glad to have you. And hopefully uh, after I'm all done editing all this, it's all there. It's all the files are downloaded. Yeah, and uh, no profanity. I don't have to I add like a disclaimer at the beginning of the show being like, oh, you might miss a couple of 15, 20 minutes. So hopefully that's not the case. It's been a pleasure either way, though, man. Thank you so much. Again. It's been great. All right, guys, that is going to wrap it up for episode 127 of On The Wire. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 Grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. I can once again thank our guest, Van Burnett, for joining us this week. Follow him at Van underscore Verified. After all that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hasting, thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye. Goodbye.